Eric Roberts is a fucking man He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began We should give him every medal, every trophy and award He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard Face front, true believers. It's episode number 59 of Eric Roberts is the fucking man, the world's most crooked Eric Roberts related podcast. I'm Doug Tilly and joining me as per usual is the crown prince of crime, Liam O'Donnell. How are things, Liam? Well, they're pretty great, Doug. Uh, what's this? What's this voice that you're doing on the uh, I don't. I don't know. Look, I am punchy right now. I am yeah, punchy. Yeah. I've watched a lot of kids movies in the last. I can't even do the math. 72 hours. Okay. Mm-hmm. What's more than 70? What's the next one after 72? 120. Oh, yes, that's right. 96? 196. That's exactly correct. I don't fucking know. Please. Liam, you're a bit punchy. You're a little punchy. And that's because uh, your family, uh, your lovely wife, Susan, who has appeared on the show previously, and your daughter, they're both ill at the moment. Right. Susan's very ill. Maeve is just like not herself. I don't know if she has a cold or whatever, but, you know, she doesn't sleep a lot, you know, babies. She doesn't sleep a lot, but she's like sleeping not a lot even for her. So mm-hmm. I've had a few nights in a row where I was like in bed by 10, up at midnight, back to sleep at two, up at four or five or six or whatever. So like, okay, okay, I just, just going to stop you for a second, Liam. Liam, I, ha- I just noticed when I was talking to you, just something sprung to my mind. Sure. I always start the show by asking how you are and you never yeah. actually ask me how I am. Well, I assume part of your character that you play on the show, mm-hmm. besides besides the whole like, oh, I'm sassy and I'm from Canada and I love Eric Roberts, that another part of that character was that you didn't want to reveal anything about yourself. Yeah, well, look, I am my char- the character of Doug Tilly I play on the show is a sass mouth, no doubt about it, and so he, is, sassy. He, he is sort of a man of mystery, and I like that aspect yeah. of myself. I don't like to put too much of myself out there because I do that in so many other locations. I feel like Shh. people tune. Uh, did you just shush me? <laughs> No, I was going to say, should we, should we change that, though? Like, is that something you want to change? Because I'll ask some probing questions, Doug. I, my dream since starting this podcast is to be probed by you, Liam O'Donnell. <laughs> I mean, I, first of all, let's just start off with, why do you feel like you have to be so sassy? Like, don't you think this, you're this, compensating I'm, for something? I'm, I, I'm very glad that you asked me this question, Liam. And it's something I've wanted to get off my chest a little bit. It kind of started when I was a kid. Here's the thing. My father, his name was Doug Tilly, too. Like, that was his name, just like my name. And my grandfather was also named Doug Tilly. Oh, and that my is God. Oh, no one cares. We should oh, probably get I... to the guest. You'll find our guest today talking politics, movies, and political movies on the Psychosemantic podcast. It's Darren Wilson. How are you doing, Darren? I'm doing pretty fucking great, guys. Um, thanks for having me. I've uh, One of the reasons I'm feeling really great is... Similarly to some of your uh, child-induced sleep problems, uh, I got a full night's sleep last night because my kid passed out early, and the day before, he had me up at 5.30 because he was taking apart my printer and scanner. Oh, well, that's nice of him. Did did he fix any potential problems with that? No, but he did draw me a picture with the paper he got out, so I was like, 
but I I'm fully I'm fully rested. So if I sound a bit more chipper than uh, anybody that's heard me talk before usually does, is because I've had a coffee and a beer tonight. Oh, nice. Excellent. And it's great. I'm going to lean on you a little harder than I usually would lean on a guest, Darren, because Liam is a little, he's a little tuckered out. He's, uh, he's had, he hasn't had the, the full eight hours that he's due. So uh, I'm going to be, instead of pitching over to Liam like I normally would, I'm going to focus all the more on you, Darren. Whatever. I'm here. I'm present. <laughs> Whatever you say. Well, feel free to chime in every once in a while. Uh, yeah, feel I free, think, Liam. I think your name's on the wall in there somewhere. Yeah. If you get your dander up, Liam, you can just chime in whenever you want. But Darren, I want to focus on you for just a second. You're, uh, you have a podcast which uh, gets involved with politics. Now, we try to stay away from politics here on the Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man podcast because, you know, the climate that exists in 2017, I don't feel like politics really has a place in it. But let you probably uh, feel differently. Tell us about your podcast, The Psychosemantic Podcast. Okay, well... Um... Yeah, like you said before, it's politics, movies, and political movies. Um, I've spent most of my life playing in a political punk rock band and stuff like that. And, you know, as life slows down, everybody goes on tour a bit less. And so I uh, decided to get a get a show going. And I noticed, uh, especially like you said, a lot of people say we try to keep politics off of our show. Mm. And I just noticed that more and more often. And I was like, well, I'll just have a fucking show about politics. And I like movies. And I watch a lot of uh, movies to distract myself from all the politics. <laughs> but then I end up watching political movies. So that's mm. sort of where I wound up in here. And I knew that I could get some of you guys to come on my show that not that many people listen to. And you can let your hair down and, you know, tell us how you really feel. I mean, Doug was, it, Doug was lying. We talk about politics on the show we all do. the time. We do talk about I, politics I all the time. <laughs> It's the something that we're known for. The episode I listened to was pre-election, and I was just <laughs> feeling so bad. You were talking about, like, you know, who who people were going to vote for and everything. And I was just like, oh, the bastards don't know. Those, <laughs> those guys were in a happier world. You know, the embarrassing thing, Darren, is that we actually recorded that several days after the election. We're just so ill-informed <laughs> that we just don't know what's going on in the world. Is it even worth knowing at this point? It's just oh. a source of, like, death, depression. I read the news sometimes, and I just want to bury my head in the sand, Darren. Is that what you recommend people should do? Bury their head in the sand? Yes. Um, okay. I think that if you do that, eventually you'll be able to see through the glass that the sand will turn into after the nuclear winter. All right. Boy, I, actually, that's a pretty positive way to look at it. Darren, what's the greatest political movie? What's the political movie that everyone listening to this should see? I would say Dr. Strangelove. That's, if, that's, a bit, that's, a, that's a good one, and that is actually one of my favorite movies. Liam, do you like Dr. Strangelove? I feel like some people just, just are not tuned into that movie very well. Oh, no, I like it. I mean, I, I think um, it's hard. I think... I saw it later, so I kind of knew a lot about it before I saw it. Sure. So I went. I didn't go in fresh to like let the movie affect me in and of itself. I went in with expectations and with ideas about what it was about. So I wish I had just seen it and didn't know much about it. Yeah, I, I think that's fair enough. Boy, that George C. Scott performance. I always find it so interesting that that you know a lot of. People with right-wing leanings um, love Patton so much, right? And mm. when I think of George C. Scott, the first thing I think of is Buck Turgidson from 
from Doctor Strangelove and how it, that's somehow, despite coming before Patton, it's almost mocking the exact same sort of character that he ended up playing in Patton. Uh, Liam, are you impressed by the fact that Darren uh, played in a uh, political or a number of political punk bands? Because, you know, Liam, you might know this, that you actually were in a punk band yourself. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, considering that I've internet stalked Darren and I noticed that he is like a legit punk with like a mohawk and I played in like a sissy metalcore band that had a violin on the record. I don't think it's a fair comparison now. Now, what was the political leanings of Revolver Method, Liam, if you could just put them in a single line? Um, that would be difficult to do, to put in a single line. There were... Mm. The, the the band was in my embarrassingly into Jesus period, so ah. uh, there was a lot of stuff, but I, but I wasn't into being blatantly about anything. So there were a lot of pseudo political or political pseudo poetic lyrics that were like veiled references to Jesus. Ah, so you had your own little uh, metalcore creed uh, outfit there for a little bit. That's a that's a real bummer, actually, that you just said that, and I'm kind of crying a little bit now. I'm, I'm sorry, Liam. I know you're not feeling that great. Um, Darren, I want to talk to you about the actor Eric Roberts. You're on a podcast called Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. You're a guy who's into political movies. Now, Eric Roberts has some kind of... He... he, he sort of walks between both worlds. He walks, he he acts in a lot of conservative, faith-based movies. In fact, we're going to talk about one in just a little bit. And also, you know, on Twitter, he seems to be very left-leaning, very uh, socially conscious in a lot of ways. Do you have trouble as a political person yourself watching actors who you know have reprehensible political views uh, in movies, uh, like a James Woods or something like that? You know, I would, I do. I do have, uh, I, I'm one of those people. I can be friends with someone that I disagree with on some things. I don't know. I've, I obviously, I don't have any friends that are, you know, as big assholes like James, James Woods, because I just wouldn't be their friend anymore. But does, uh, does anyone uh, really though, does anyone really befriend James Woods? I, I, I'm sure he and Tim Allen hang out all the time. <laughs> And bitch about how the liberal uh, Hollywood machine is keeping Tim Allen down. Darren, what's your favorite Eric Roberts movie? Um, I know this. I've definitely heard this one said before on the show, <laughs> but uh, best of the best. I now, think. best of the best one or best of the best two? I got to ask that question. Uh, you know, I don't know if I've ever just watched one and not gone through through to two so they are kind of like uh my eric roberts kill bill where uh yeah so, but probably the first one because i usually like the first movies better than the second movies and right. it's not necessarily the second movie's fault let's talk about the latest eric roberts tidbits on the roberts report It's the Roberts Report for episode number 59 of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. And as per usual, we're going to start with a deep dive on the Twitter feed of Eric Roberts himself. You can follow him on Twitter at Eric Roberts, all one word. One of the big news pieces of this previous week uh, was the death of Hugh Hefner, the Playboy magnate. Uh, it's interesting to hear the response to his death. Um, I, I kind of have a lot of conflicting feelings about him as a man and personality myself. 
but what I, I wasn't expecting, I, I maybe so quickly, a lot of really negative responses uh, right away. And again, I'm not disagreeing with them. I actually learned a lot from reading a number of those pieces. But Eric Roberts on September 27th, he wrote, "You, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> you lived a hue life. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> okay. Um. <clears throat> You lived a hue life. Rest in peace and thanks for Star 80. So, um, Darren, have you ever seen the film Star 80? I do not believe so. Okay. And neither has Liam, which is we're in an interesting position <laughs> on an Eric Roberts related podcast. Uh, but I will say that, that Hugh Hefner is presented in a particularly, um, I wouldn't say entirely sympathetic way in Star 80. And in fact, it, it he, while he doesn't um, get blame for Dorothy Stratton's murder in that, th- th- there is a suggestion that he does not treat the talent in his magazine or hadn't treated the talent in his magazine very respectfully. So this is kind of an interesting thing for Eric Roberts to have written, not only because of the very strange pun he decided to use here, but also this <laughs> suggestion that Hugh Hefner was directly related for his later success uh, in the movie Star 80. Um, now, over to you first, Liam, and I know I was I said I was going to uh, give you kind of the night off, but I want to get your feelings on this. <laughs> Hugh Hefner... You are a, a a white male who grew up in the 80s and 90s. He he represented something to a lot of, well, actually, people who grew up in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s. He represented something to a lot of those people. But do you have kind of conflicting feelings about him? Or do you take a hardline stance that he was either, you know, uh, civil rights uh, activist and, uh, uh, and, and progressive or uh, he exploited women? I don't – I'm not convinced – that you can take the civil rights, you know, the, uh, I, to me, it's just a matter of how much, uh, how negative a view you want to take of his obvious exploitation. Like the exploitation to me is inarguable. The question is, um, was it, uh, he was just at a time when, uh, pornography was so controlled that there wasn't another option or is it that he continued to be a monster for his whole life? You know what I mean? Like, I think you could make a sociological slash political argument that like, yeah, what he did was not great, but actually there wasn't another option. Like there weren't, there wasn't going to be like a feminist woman pornography, you know, empire the way that Hugh had. So like that, that's what had to happen at that time. Like, I think you can make that argument, but it doesn't make him any more, I don't see any evidence that he was particularly progressive in any way. Uh, and I, I certainly have never yeah. seen him as anything other than a total creepazoid. Like, like I just, everything about him from the moment I knew who he was till now, even as someone who in my teenage years really appreciated the existence of his magazine. And when I could find one, I was pretty stoked on it. I never, <laughs> I never thought, Oh, the guy who makes this is like a cool dude. Who's down with the cause. I've always been like, what a fucking creeper. Like, nothing about him doesn't make me uncomfortable. Put on some pants, PJ man. Um, Darren, I'm going to ask you a question. One of the things that I hear about a lot is a kind of common experience that a lot of young men have where they somehow find a collection of Playboys or some sort of pornography in the woods. Like, they find <laughs> a box of it in the woods. And this seems to be, like, I've heard probably a hundred different stories about people, similar situations where people have found pornography in the woods. Have you ever experienced anything like that, Darren? Um, well, I, I have, you know, maybe a little, uh, more of a rare 
experience with that. I was growing up, uh, my best friend and actually the guy that I've been in almost all my bands with, uh, mm-hmm. he plays guitar and I play drums. Um, his dad is a cartoonist, but from the time before we were born until maybe five, ten years ago, he worked for Larry Flint Publications. Ah, I see. And he got a free issue of everything that he was ever published in. And he kept this in a giant trunk. In my memory, it's as big as a car, like a Buick, <laughs> a Buick Century or something like that. Trunk. Just in, you know, they, they lived a little bit farther out of the city. So their garage was a barn. And in the top floor, there was a giant trunk of porn. And you could pry it open just enough that the, the friend with the smallest arms could reach in and just pull out a bunch of magazines. So that was my first experience. I guess it's kind of like a more uh, Hunter Thompson-y or <laughs> version of a, a box in the woods. But <laughs> and I, you know, eventually I found my dad's stack stack of Playboys and uh, coming around a little bit to the point of the Playboy uh, had some really cool they actually had some pretty cool articles, which is sure. the, usually where I think Hefner gets most of his liberal cred as right. he's published liberal writers. But also kind of it's also sort of the point of humor that a lot of people have. Right. It's like, oh, yeah, I got, I'm getting it for the articles. But you're right. There was obviously a lot of very respected writers like Hunter S. Thompson who appeared in, in Playboy in the past. Yeah. So it feels like, though, a very. Uh, white liberal sort of like you know it, it, there weren't a lot of like uh, Black Panthers writing in Playboy sure. you know what I mean so it, it's kind of like it, it, I don't know it's again like I don't I don't think he, that Playboy itself wasn't in some ways a force for good uh, that there weren't good things accomplished but I don't understand the people who like defend him as a fucking hero because right. everything he did just made him an unfathomable amount of money and didn't necessarily make the people he took pictures of that same amount of money. Liam. Yeah. Did you ever find porn in the woods? No, (laughs) I didn't live in a place where there were a lot of woods, but Uh. honestly, when I, when it came to finding that I, you know, my mom had friends and I would be at their house and they might forget to put something away. And that was usually how I found porn. Your mom had some cool or very, very uh, irresponsible friends. <laughs> I believe both of those things are true, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think uh, I think the first time I really just sat and like really like, OK, I'm going to give this some time and really look at this magazine. I think I was actually babysitting and this kid My went goodness. to sleep and I was like, huh, well, let me wander around here. And oh, look, pornographic magazines. It's pretty quick. And is that why you decided to work <laughs> religious themes into the Revolver Methods lyrics? <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I, uh, mm-hmm. I think, uh-huh. I think, I think one of the first reasons that I walked away from a more traditional uh, religious view was all the sex guilt. It just seemed, ah. it just seemed to me like uh, there's a lot of other things. If you're going to bother feeling guilty, there's all this like, you know, oppression and capitalism to feel bad about. But everyone just feels bad about jerking off. It's like really weird to me. It was weird to me then when I was more conservative and it just got more and more weird until I sort of just changed my mind about all of it. Recently on Eric Roberts Twitter feed, he's been 
like even more so than usual, he's been giving shout outs to various airlines. Uh, I mean, really, a, a, almost a confusing amount of his tweets go towards thanking Lufthansa or Delta or any number of different airlines. And one of his fans asked, are you trying to rack up bonus miles or endorsement contracts? And Eric had a very amusing response. Ha ha ha. I'm just going on <laughs> I'm just going on location a lot and my kids have been too and I always truly appreciate the wonderful people on board and the experience. Eric Roberts, a fan of airlines, a fan of letting airlines know how much he appreciates the service on those airlines. It's interesting to hear because honestly, I usually have terrible experiences on airlines. Uh and and you know, where you get like a little uh a Dixie cup full of water and that that's your that's that's your penance to pay for having to sit there for three or four hours. Liam, do you like flying? I hate it. Yeah. Okay. Darren, do you enjoy flying? I I kind of do. Um, I I was late to flying uh, when I was growing up. A friend of mine's dad uh, was a pilot. He had one of those little planes that's in like wings or whatever is. I don't know what they're called. <laughs> um, so, and my mom was really afraid of me and my parents were kind of hippies. So we drove lots of places. I mean, I've been everywhere in America when I was a kid, but we drove in the Volkswagen bus. Mm. Um, <laughs> so when I finally started flying, I was like, this is really quick. It doesn't take me, you know, uh, cause I, I hung out with or whatever, a girl in Chicago that I met on tour once and we hung out for a couple months and I would go up and visit her. And it was, you know, six or seven hour drive, 18 hours on the bus or an hour flight. Um, I'm a fan. My wife hates it. She, you know, she'll crush my hand uh, on the takeoff and landing. Um, but my kid, surprisingly so far, he's been flying since he was, a, I don't know, less than a year old. So... When he starts being an asshole on the planes, maybe I'll enjoy it less. I did not go on a plane until I was 22 years of age, I believe. Yeah, 22. And uh, that flight was going from uh, Newfoundland, where I grew up, to uh, Boston. I think maybe the first one actually was a shorter flight, and then there was a connecting. But the interesting thing about it was I got on the plane, my brother and I, both flying for the first time, and our seats were not on the plane. <laughs> They had actually done some, um, I guess, some, some. they moved around seats or something on the plane in between the time that we purchased our ticket and got onto it. And so we got on it and everyone looked confused because the seats that we had did not exist. And I was, for lack of a better <laughs> word, traumatized by that experience. It was just awful. So maybe that has just kind of colored my whole view of the flying thing. Uh, but I will say that also being six foot six uh, and um, I, I've never enjoyed being crammed into a tin can uh, and mm. somehow launched into the sky. I don't understand the, the mechanics of it. It looks like witchcraft probably involved in some way, <laughs> <laughs> if, if I had to make a guess. But uh, yeah, flying, good on Eric Roberts. Obviously, he flies a lot because he uh, recently filmed in Nigeria, <laughs> and he, he's been filming all over the world all year, and I think he just recently was, maybe even at the time that we're recording this, was in Buffalo for their Buffalo Comic Con thing. Um, so, uh, so good on him for just keeping his relationships with uh, the various airlines strong. Not a lot of news to talk about on this week regarding the Roberts Report. Um, I guess Eric is keeping it on the DL until we get to meet him in person in just about a month or so. Liam, are you getting more and more excited about this? 
I'm definitely excited, but I'm also getting more and more nervous about it. I, I feel the same way, um, mostly because I know that you're going to be a quivering wreck on the day of. So, <laughs> oh I'm yeah, prob- I, I I assume I won't say a single word. I'll just sit there quietly. I uh, for my other podcast, No Budget Nightmares, we're just about to hit our hundredth episode. So, in lead up to that, uh, I've been doing um, Mo Porn and myself, are the two hosts, have been doing a lot of interviews with um, low budget directors and people involved in that the production side of things. Um, and so we're <laughs> we do these, we set up these interviews, we we get the person on the phone or on Skype or whatever, and Mo literally will say like three words the entire time and i've set up all these questions and uh and liam that's not how it's going to be i'm going to make you confront eric roberts and all that stuff that all the horrible things that you've said about him before we're going to bring those up and make sure that you account for the awful things that you've said i mean i am definitely asking about dark moon rising i mean that we can't get around it Uh uh-huh uh-huh and frank d'angelo as well yep frank d'angelo I guess uh, what was the soccer movie? The Golden Cleats movie. Golden Shoes. Yeah, Golden yeah I need. Shoes. I need. I, I might actually push for an apology for that one. <laughs> I'm sure this will go extremely well. Now, recently added to the ever-expanding Eric Roberts Internet Movie Database page is 2017's The Reliant, starring the Boz Brian Bosworth, Kevin Sorbo, and Eric Roberts. Uh, it's described as a faith-based pro-Second <clears throat> Amendment movie. And comes from Paul Munger, the editor and producer of the recent um, sex trafficking horse movie, Unbridled, which we've referred to on past episodes. The plot goes like this. The collapse of the dollar precipitates widespread rioting and social unrest across the nation, leaving a lovesick girl struggling to care for her siblings in a stretch of woods bordered by lawless anarchy, wondering why a good God would let this happen. (laughs) Oh, sorry. No, no, please laugh away. Uh... I looked at the Indiegogo page uh, that helped fund some of the reliance. Uh, I will say that some of what was written there was uh, somewhat controversial. But what I said there, that it's a pro-Second Amendment faith-based movie, that's right from that page. It is advertising itself as uh, as a pro-Second Amendment movie. Now, Eric Roberts has done a number of faith-based films in the past, though uh, none as none that seems to be taking a hard line to this extent. When you hear... That description, Darren, uh, do you think that this is something you'd be interested in seeing? No. All right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you, you are a man who has a political podcast. This seems like a very political movie. Doesn't it seem like it would fit in like like a chalk and cheese, as they say? I I would watch it for the show. But. um, I I would do so reluctantly uh just because this movie isn't for me i mean it could be a good movie for that uh that crowd mm-hmm. uh but it i yeah I, I it would be for academic purposes i see and in fact i, I could i could totally understand that i have to say i'm very curious about it and the way that that plot fits into the message that it's trying to send uh, and wonder, I wonder if it's going to be very kind of shoehorned in and very obvious what kind of political views the makers have. I mean, the fra- fact of the matter is a lot of the action movies that that I'm sure all of us, uh, meaning that both uh, Darren and Liam and myself love, there's quite a few that were made by extremely right-leaning conservatives, right? And, and could be interpreted 
as um, supporting vigilante justice and and certainly gun ownership and all that sort of thing. This one is a little bit more um, on the nose with it. But uh, but is that the reason that that you have difficulty with it, Darren? Simply because it's made for that express purpose. Uh, a little bit of that. I'm sorry if I'm sounding a little distracted. I'm. I have two places that I record, and I'm recording in my garage so my <laughs> my kid can wind down and whatnot. There is a raccoon looking down at me from the <laughs> <rafters>. <laughs> So I'm going to be constantly looking up. No, that's so okay. I'm I'm moving my head upwards. Please keep right us updated now. on on the on okay. the progress of this raccoon and where it is in regards to it's, you. And if it gets close enough to your microphone, to the other side. Liam, faith-based cinema. We've talked about it a number of time a number of times on this show. Uh, now, in this case, it uh, seems to have a, a political leaning with a, a sort of end goal to it, which is to promote the Second Amendment, to promote gun ownership. Does that what does that make you feel when you hear about that? Yeah, I'm not particularly interested in that. That doesn't sound like a thing that I want. Um, usually, the kind of folks who would want to combine Jesus with their guns are not people that I would say on the same team. Like, they're they're not folks that I feel like are allies to me in any particular way. Okay. So, but you, you will watch this movie, though. I mean, we took a goddamn blood oath, so mm-hmm. I don't think we have a choice. Right. And, I, and it's possible that Darren will watch it as well because he has a political podcast, and it might fit in with the subject matter. Isn't that right, Darren? Yes, sir. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it, w- it would... It would be it would be for the love of the show. <laughs> um, it, who know, maybe it could be um, a code name for a sequel to Red State. Could be. Yeah, I don't expect that to be the case, but it's possible. You know, when you watch, say, if you watch a John <laughs> Milius movie, because John Milius is c- quite outspoken in his right wing political views, and honestly is is uh, quite an advocate for gun ownership. As well. Now he's a terrific director. He made Conan, right? We all love his movies. How is that different than watching The Reliant? I'm going to start with you, Liam. Um, Conan is fun, and this sounds like shit. All right, all right. That's one opinion. Darren, uh, any thoughts on that? I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, t- I prefer my propaganda with a lot more plot. I think that's fair enough. And I mean, we don't know for sure that the Reliant doesn't have a, maybe even too much plot. <laughs> I bet it has more plot than action. I'm just throwing that out there. So I guess we'll have to check out when we uh, when we watch the Reliant exactly how that uh, that plays out. It might surprise us. I'm going to leave it open. I mean, we do have Kevin Sorbo. We have the Boz himself from the classic action movie Stone Cold. And we have Eric Roberts. I mean, uh, you can't go wrong with at least one of those parts. Uh, so we will be checking out The Reliant at some point in the near future. Darren, we have on the docket for this episode of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man a television movie. Uh, for the first time in a very long time, we're only going to be talking about a single project. The reason being is that I actually misinterpreted the length of this movie. I actually thought it was at least twice its actual length. But uh, but that's okay. It is a TV movie with a pretty strong pedigree. It's called Lansky. It's a gangster movie about uh, about the Jewish gangster Meyer Lansky starring Richard Dreyfuss and with a, a really interesting part by Eric Roberts. But I wanted to, before we take our first break, Darren, why did you choose Lansky for us to watch on this episode? It was the first thing that I thought of that you hadn't done yet. I, I think that's right, because you did think of a few things which we had already done. 
Yes. <laughs> and I, I, as I was saying off, uh, off mic, I had seen it before, but it had been about 10, 15 years since. So, but, but you remembered enjoying it at the time that you saw it. Yes. Yes. Well, I, I was not trying to punish anyone. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that you, you, uh, I think that you succeeded in not punishing us, which considering some of the things we watch on this show is always appreciated. I will say that my expectations of this movie, because it is an HBO production from the late nineties. I mean, really this is kind of, it's, it's marking that point right before, um, I feel like HBO Productions took a bit of a jump ahead in terms of production quality, you know, pre-Deadwood, pre-that. But the, the the pedigree on this is actually incredibly high. Not only do we have a Hollywood director in John McNaughton, the director for, of Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, is directing this and uh, Wild Things. Um, but also you have David Mamet as the writer. Uh, and at the time that you watched it, Darren, were you already aware of David Mamet and his reputation? No, no. Um I didn't really start getting more into uh, other other than horror films and political stuff. Sure. Um, I didn't really know that much about the people behind the cameras uh, or behind the the pen slash typewriter tap, laptop, uh, whatever you want to say, <laughs> uh, until a little bit later in my twenties when I was in school and taking film classes. Well, we're going to learn all about David Mamet, and we're going to learn all about John McNaughton, and we're going to learn all about Meyer Lansky after we take our first break. When we return, 1999's Lansky. Biopic of mob boss Meyer Lansky explores his childhood, including his friendship with Bugsy Siegel, their venture into the formation of Las Vegas, and his subsequent attempt to organize pre-Castro Cuba as a vacation resort. It's 1999's Lansky, a made-for-HBO film starring the great Richard Dreyfuss as Meyer Lansky, uh, a, a kind of a, a well, a real-life gangster. Uh, previously, not only uh, has he appeared in well. In, in not not as himself, but the character of Hyman Roth from The Godfather Part Two was clearly based on Meyer Lansky. Uh, and they say that the character of Max Berkowitz, Berkowitz, I should say, in Once Upon a Time in America, the James Woods character, he was based on him as well. And of course, um, in the film Bugsy, he was actually played by Ben Kingsley, Meyer Lansky was, who, uh, who was nominated for an Academy Award for that role. Here we have Richard Dreyfuss playing the character. And I do have to say that my lack of... Um, Previous knowledge of Meyer Lansky's life probably worked against me while watching Lansky, and the problem with that is maybe it's maybe it's not my problem. Maybe the film should have maybe done a little bit better at explaining the order of what we were watching. It does jump around uh, in time. 
for those who haven't seen it, it, it actually is sort of presented as a series of flashbacks. It starts, the film starts in Israel with uh, Richard Dreyfus as a older Meyer Lansky waiting to see if he's going to be extradited back to the U.S. or if he has to find uh, some other place to live because he's basically being thrown out of Israel. And um, then we have flashbacks to his childhood. It kind of goes through some of the major events of his life. But I mean, we're jumping ahead decades sometimes. And then it catches up to modern day uh, where you get a little bit more of his life, and then it kind of skips ahead even further at one point. It uh, For someone who has a little unfamiliarity with the man himself, I found it a little difficult to follow, but that's just me. Let's start with our guest here today. Darren, what did you think? Now, you've seen this several times before, but uh, having watched it, I imagine, for the first time in a while, what did you think of Lansky? Yeah, um, <clears throat> this is definitely the first time I've ever watched the film with a critical eye. Um, and I really couldn't find myself, uh, fully being, I wouldn't have been able to fully track the, the paths that the movie wove around itself if I hadn't read previous material on Meyer Lansky. And, um, yeah, like, like you were saying, he's not really front. This is his only front and center. He had a large part, the Meyer Lansky character in the Boardwalk Empire show. Sure. But I, you know, I'm not, I kind of dropped off on that. Uh, so I do not know if they actually followed any historical arc of him. But uh, having read about Bugsy Siegel and having read about Lucky Luciano, I could track the path easier. But yeah, there's flashbacks, flash forwards, flash sideways. Uh, it, it was a little... Uh, incongruous maybe yeah i think i think that might be safe to say the other thing that i had an issue with was the fact that it i didn't find it very engaging and maybe it's because the film is very sympathetic to the character or the the real life human meyer lansky in that they try to present him as very much a circumstance uh someone who has been who has been involved with organized crime uh but who, who did it as kind of cleanly as possible uh he obviously was involved with gambling casinos, but he was renowned for not cheating customers. And uh, and this was simply before a lot of that was legalized. And then a lot of the other things he was accused of, uh, the film tries to posit that anti-Semitism was a lot of the motivation behind some of those accusations. Now, you know a little bit more about this character. Does that hold water with, with what you know about him, Darren? Um, I, I think that the film isn't necessarily well it depends on where you want to draw the line but sure. i th- i think the film more clearly says that Meyer Lansky said that that was the reason why people I think were that's going fair. after Absolutely. Meyer Lansky um but I mean, he is the narrator and he is painted in a positive light i mean he's the the filmmakers didn't dislike this man mm-hmm. um but there's also, a, you know, there were a lot of Nazis here when we were fighting Nazis in Germany. You know, sure. there was a lot of anti-Semitism. And I think mm-hmm. there is, especially with uh, the government working so closely with the the mafia, supposedly, uh, right. especially in aiding the uh, invasion of Italy, they couldn't pick on all their best buddies, sort of like sure. the way Lansky talks about in one of his things about how they're, they're coming after him. Sure. I think he says that exact same thing, actually. But, you know, they're coming after me because they don't need me. 
Yeah, absolutely. One of the things, uh, the, the reasons I, I brought up uh, this this idea of anti-Semitism as, I don't know if defense is the right word, is because the film begins with Lansky as a child, um, uh, as a, a member of like a Polish uh, Jewish family in the Russian Empire, and he's witnessing the persecution and the murder of Jews as a child. And they actually cut back to that later in the movie, and, it's, and they're trying to draw some sort of parallel between that persecution and the persecution that he's experiencing now whether that is like you said that's the narrator that's his view of what's going on it's a little uh, you know it's hard to tell if that's what the the filmmakers are presenting or if that's what we're supposed to think that he is thinking at that point yeah um i I think that's definitely a fair point because there is uh and and that did that did come back throughout the film i mean when they're kids in uh, Brooklyn area, there's a lot of anti-Semitic mm-hmm. uh, slang or talk or commonplace. You know, sure. like watch your you're leaving the house. Make sure you're careful and you don't get killed. That Absolutely. that sort of uh, stuff. And then the the rival kids. Yeah. Over to you, Liam. Uh, I imagine this is your first time watching Lansky. Um, what, did you have difficulty following it like I did? Did you have any uh, previous knowledge of the man himself? I knew a little bit from the his appearances in... I say his appearances, like the man himself showed up. The way he's been <laughs> portrayed in a variety of gangster-related material, whether that's TV shows or movies, there's often a character who either is based on or kind of is based on him. Um, and enough so that I've done, especially like the tricky thing with Boardwalk Empire is how everyone is based on real people, but a lot of what you're shown is mildly fictional. Sure. So I spent a lot of time when I was watching that show like, at least reading Wikipedia, sometimes more than that, to try to figure out, like, oh, how much of this is real and how much of this is, like, totally kind of made up and all that. all that. So I had some familiarity with his story, but not – I wouldn't say details. or I just kind of knew who he was. And maybe that helped me uh, follow the plot. But I think there's one major thing that made it confusing. So when the, the, the way the film is told, and you sort of hinted at this, there's all this time jumping going on. And sure. when we first enter in, Richard Dreyfus is this older Lansky, and he's playing this uh, kind of like wizened figure. And we get the feeling that Lansky in his old age is like, I don't know, not capable of like emoting much. Like sure. he doesn't really say right. a lot of things. And <laughs> he sort of has this kind of weird accent that doesn't seem to fit. And at some point, the 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 way the movie's working at first is he's not doing much as a character in Israel. We, we slowly learn that he's applied for return and he wants to be a citizen, sure. but a lot of that material is very truncated where mostly what we're seeing is flashback. And then at some point that part of the story starts to expand. Hmm. And when that part of the story expands, Richard Dreyfus starts playing the younger Lansky character in the older Lansky makeup <laughs> such that it starts to get confusing. He really does because when you see him play younger Lansky, that Lansky is like animated and he's got shit to say and he's motive, you know, there's stuff going on there and he, he cares about Bugsy and he's there. For, he cares about Charlie and there's all this stuff going on. Whereas up until before he gets expelled from Israel, older Lansky kind of doesn't seem like he gives a fuck about much. He's just sort of like, 
you know, going through it or whatever. Sure. And so what started to get confusing for me towards the end was cutting from time to time. I could only figure out what time period we're in based upon the color of Dreyfus's hair. Right. Or, because... or, whether, or whether Dreyfus was actually playing the character. Right, exactly. So he, but that's what I'm saying. He started to meld the two sure. things so that older Lansky is suddenly exactly like younger Lansky. He just has whiter hair, and that was confusing to me. It's like, oh, I get it. Like, I mean, I guess it makes sense from a logical standpoint of, as he had to fight for his sort of coming back to America, he has a certain passion or whatever. Like, I guess you could make sense, but as a watcher, it just gets confusing where you're like, okay, what part is this? Like, where are we now? Like it just started to meld together towards the end such that when the movie ended, I was like, wait, so he's in America now. What is even fucking going on? Like I was just totally confused. It, it, it is, it does feel like a, such a truncated version of his story that it's hard to draw the lines between how everything connects to one another. Um, and and we'll get to Eric Roberts. We haven't mentioned his name in regards to it yet, but he actually plays Bugsy Siegel in this movie. Right. And uh, and again, well, he only <laughs> it's so strange watching it and waiting for him to show up, which is something that's very common on Eric Roberts as a fucking man. Oh, we'll watch a movie and we'll wait for Eric Roberts to show up. But he's literally the second build person in this movie. And I think he has three scenes in the entire fucking thing. And he doesn't show up until like like almost <laughs> an hour into it. But uh, but that kind of goes to towards what you were saying, Liam, like a good chunk of the first 45 minutes of this movie outside of the uh, the flash forward, the, the modern day or the modern day of when it's taking place of, of <laughs> Richard Dreyfus uh, in Israel, all the flashbacks are other actors playing uh, Meyer Lansky. Uh, so it really does kind of take a while for it to get to the point where it's Richard Dreyfus playing it and sort of the action is moving forward and that there, for lack of a better way to put this, that there actually is action. A lot of it is very familiar, the stuff that comes before it. And uh, a lot of it relies on the fact that Meyer Lansky was very good with numbers and he was just a really great math guy and that helped him in his work. So, I mean, uh, you know, yeah, uh, please. Not only that, but uh, the all that early stuff, I mean, I'm not a big fan of uh, period pieces. Like they, 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 in every effort that they try to be authentic, they just feel more fake to me. Sure. And the child actors are terrible. Oh, the accents they're that they're trying to do. So, is... Oh my god! <laughs> it, I mean, so right fucking bad. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, the worst. That's it. The worst kind of old timey accent in New York that you could possibly think of. Yeah, yeah, you cocksuck. Because of course they're also hilariously foul mouthed because David Mamet wrote this thing. So, so, uh, so, well, yeah, please and. and my man, you know, like the the uh, not the hero, but sort of the the protagonist of the film. He's this kid. The kid is barely acting. All we know about him is he like loses money and then he gets blah, 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 blah. and then based solely upon the anti-Semitism he faces, he murders a child. And I'm just like watching it, thinking like I'm. Don't get me wrong. When it comes to within the context of a film, I'm a pretty big fan of child murder. I think it works. As a plot device, I'm into it. But Look, I, I, you know what? I'll extend that even outside of film. Yeah, well, yeah. That, <laughs> that's that's where we differ, my man. But, uh, but I mean, but but what I'm saying is that like that the fact that he like kills another kid sounds cool on paper. Right. But in the movie, I'm just kind of like, have they even picked on you that much? Like, how are we already at you murdering this kid? And then the whole rest of the movie, I'm supposed to be on board with your life? Like. Let's go back Let, to, to you murdering that child because let's elaborate he said on that. some bad words. 
let's elaborate that. Yeah. So what happened what, in that scene? And it really is kind of horrific to watch. Um, it, it's it's Marlin, uh, Marlansky and um, is it supposed to be Bugsy, the person that's with him? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. His, his buddy. Yeah. They've been friends since since Square One. Since Square, Square One. That's exactly. So they're basically in the river or the yeah, I guess like the East River. I don't know anything about fucking New York. So in the river are a bunch of kids and they're swimming. And they're also, when they see Bugsy and Meyer Lansky, they start saying a bunch of anti-Semitic stuff, right? And that is awful. And they deserve to be punished for it. But their punishment in this case is Meyer Lansky and Bugsy Siegel jumping into the water, pulling the lead of these bad these these bullies underwater, and what is it, slitting his throat and murdering him? Yep. It is it's very gruesome. And again, look, I don't know, I like <laughs> It's one of those things where because the movie has set up, these are anti-Semitic people, they deserve, you know, whatever is coming to them. And generally in a movie where you kind of show that over an extended period, you can make that more justified. But in the case of this, there's literally one other scene. And in the other one, the anti-Semitism is as a result of this kind of physical conflict that they've already had. Not that that's any justification for it, but it's like it seems to be in that moment. And then, you know, basically the next scene, they're murdering children. Well, uh, did you have let's, any? Let's Sorry, even yeah. Put that. Let's even put it aside whether it's offensive or not. It also doesn't work for the character. Like the last time we saw him, he couldn't even fight. Like Bugsy had to like <laughs> hit some kids with a brick, and then he went from like I'm not sure how I feel about violence to I'm gonna slit this kid's throat in the water. That's a big jump for a character with no <laughs> interstitial to justify. I, I I think that that's fair to say. But Darren, did you have any issue with child murderer or child murder in itself uh. in this movie? No, well, <clears throat> to be fair to the film mm-hmm. that did some interesting editing choices, they didn't fully show the boy's throat being slit until the near the end of the That's film. That's true. That's very true. Though we you, do see you, the blood come up in the water. Yes, yes. Some, you, you knew that something had happened because Meyer goes underwater, pulls the kid down. There's a bunch of blood, and all of a sudden he's not around anymore. He's not a problem. Now he's just getting smacked around by uh, Lucky Luciano when he's like five. <laughs> um, but yeah, I as much as the movie and I, um, I never knew that this was a like made straight for HBO sort of thing. I knew that I'd seen it on HBO a lot of right. times. I'm wondering if maybe this was supposed to be like a two part movie and they didn't get enough. So they just made it into one movie. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. Um, and also, yeah, as much as the movie does try showing your protagonist kill a child, uh, that all you know is an asshole, but he hasn't done anything more that you know about. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say because the kid he kills was only in what two scenes. Yeah, right. Right. I mean, and, you get, I think the suggestion is that this person has been hounding him and harassing him for a, length, a lengthy period of time. But you really got to read into it to really interpret that. Yeah, especially because they jump in. They, they do say some horrible, wretched shit that somebody yeah. deserves punched in the face for saying. Absolutely. But they were also hanging out like they were sort of friends, like people did. I, I'm assuming I've. I know I said horrible things to my friends. I, I don't, I never said anything anti-Semitic or that could get the Southern Poverty Law Center up my ass. Right. But I mean, kids are kind of mean to each other and they, 
sort of took the characters from hitting somebody in the head with a brick and there's a stabbing to they're all frolicking in the water together in their underwear. And then he fucking shanks the dude. Yeah. It, 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 it is just weird how it's presented in the movie. And again, look, if you're a horrible, wretched, anti-Semitic Nazi and someone stabs you, I don't feel too bad about it. But in the case of this, I just like the movie doesn't really set it up like you would expect uh, you know the first murder that occurs to be set up. Let's let's get off the the idea of child murder briefly. One of the things that this movie is lauded for is its production design. It actually was got nominated for an Emmy for that. But there's something about that four by three screen, which feels so limiting, especially now that everything is in widescreen. That uh, what did you think of the look of this movie, uh, Darren? Uh, Liam mentioned before that uh, a lot of these period pieces don't work for him. Did did you did you did you find anything to love about the look of it? I I I wrote down that it looked like it was shot on the set of another movie I'd seen. <laughs> it looked like Johnny Dangerously to me. At time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey Johnny, how's hi Maya? How's your mother? <laughs> My grandmother tried to shoot me once. Once. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, knowing that it was a TV movie makes. That makes sense. Right. Liam, were you a little more impressed by the look outside of the flashback scenes when it, when it moved to modern day? Or did it kind of have that chintziness that you would expect out of a TV movie, though not necessarily an HBO TV movie? Well, the uh, the scenes with older Meyer in, in Israel, like that, those felt real. Like they filmed yeah. those on location and like all that stuff worked. But as soon as he gets ejected from Israel, all the more modern stuff felt more tv like again there's this there's this switch that happens that like all that stuff it the pacing of it was weird mm-hmm. and the sets were weird i don't know it, it just didn't quite click for me but then again all of the flashback stuff there there's some scenes with eric roberts in las vegas that i thought actually looked pretty good yeah yeah um, absolutely but all the meetings where he's meeting with the council every single one of those i mean that could have been a college student fucking thing like nothing nothing about it was it that interesting and it, and it kind of bummed me out a little bit because there's opportunities to especially like when they're doing the war stuff like yeah it's cool he's walking up a battleship but that's like a that could be a war monument in any city in america like it's not it, there are opportunities to do more interesting things visually i felt that never really got capitalized on and and a lot of what we see is like we're in a room having a meeting now we're in a room having another meeting. <laughs> and I, I don't know if all the meeting uh, Milois is just to avoid the fact that when he wasn't having meetings, he was probably murdering people. Sure. Uh, that, that's <laughs> Only probably... children. Only children. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like uh, one of the things they're trying to avoid is the part of being a gangster that involves killing people. But uh, it, it comes up at one point, like, what about the violence? You know, and uh, in an interview with what, Explain this to me, too. Who is this journalist he's talking to? So this is supposed to be an actual journalist, I guess, Hank Messick, who, who and he like investigated him for several years in Miami. So, I mean, but that's never it's never explained in any way. Nope. You and know, he my... just sort of blows it off. He's just like, you know, you're in a situation. You do what you got to do. And I was like, ah, is that really is that really the only time the movie's going to address? So the, so the two ways we address Meyer Lansky's probable violence is. He murdered a child when he was a child, 
And in an interview in his old age, he blew it off as not a big deal. That's basically what we get. Other than, you know, Bugsy gets killed, but they kind of make it off like that's not really his fault. It's more Bugsy's fault for being an asshole. My favorite thing about this movie is that one of the most interesting parts of Meyer Lansky's life from what I've read is his involvement with 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 um, with gambling operations and with casinos in Cuba and in the Cuban Revolution in 1959, when Fidel Castro came to power, basically they took over his casinos and kicked him out of the country. So that's fascinating, right? Because you know th- that whole climate would be so interesting to uh, to dive into in a bit more detail. But in the context of the movie, all it is is one scene that takes place on a golf course where some Cuban soldiers are like, "You're out," and he's like, "Okay," <laughs> and that's it. And that's supposed to be like the, <laughs> literally the turning point of his entire life was at that moment, right? That he never really recovered from the financial blow from that. But but in the context of the movie, it just literally is one scene on a golf course with some guys, you know, just smoking cigars and playing golf. It is shooting I just the, thought shooting the machine guns in the yeah. air. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're shooting machine guns in the air when they get the ball in the hole. Anyway, so, the mulligan. Let us talk about Eric Roberts. Uh we we've kept away from him and sometimes we don't bring up Eric Roberts on this show because he doesn't have a large part in the movie that we're talking about. That is the case in this movie. However, I will say that compared to a lot of the movies that we cover, Eric Roberts makes a much bigger impact on this one. Not because, not just because he's playing uh, an actual real life character uh, as, as Bugsy Siegel in this, but he really does envelop the role in a way that I wasn't quite expecting. The thing about Richard Dreyfuss's performances as Meyer Lansky is that uh, even when Liam said that, that he goes from, the older Lansky in the early scenes to younger, where he's a little more animated, he still isn't the most animated guy. And there isn't really that much engaging about him. He's just not that interesting. But then Eric Roberts waltzes into a scene like almost an hour into the movie and is immediately the most the most uh, interesting and eye-catching person that we've seen up to that point. The thing I felt, and this isn't just because we have an Eric Roberts podcast, the thing I felt by the time that the movie came to an end was... Boy, I wish this movie was about Bugsy Siegel starring Eric Roberts rather than Richard Dreyfuss' Meyer Lansky. Again, I, I obviously have a slanted position, so let's go over to our guest. Darren, what did you think of Eric Roberts in Lansky? I thought he was amazing, and I think that's why the backfile of my brain that was still aware of this movie brought it up, because... Um, I am not very familiar. I'll you know put it out there. I haven't seen a lot of Eric Roberts things. I don't have anything against him, but <laughs> you know I just don't happen to find myself watching his films all that often. And uh, so I'm glad I picked one where even though there there were some weird things about this film, I think it really. Uh, cause there have been times where people have felt like Eric Roberts was doing it for the check right. maybe, or uh, I don't want to say he's, he's work cause he's a working actor. You know, I don't want to say it like doing it for the check is a bad thing or whatever, but you, you could tell that he was, he seemed really excited about this role and he definitely brought Bugsy Siegel the, uh, like the flavor or the spirit of Bugsy Siegel. Sure. To this, and he he really he really shone brightly or shined brightly. I don't know if uh, 
You're Canadian. You know, you've got better English classes than I have. Sure. Uh, let, let's let's <laughs> say that that's the case, even if my accent ruins any English that I actually express. But one of the things I like about it is that he's not playing the super suave, cool gangster, right? I mean, he is to an extent in that he's supposed to be, he wants to think of himself as the coolest person in the room, but he's also that kind of fast-talking, um, over-energetic, in over his head type character, and that is my favorite kind of Eric Roberts character, and it's the one that these days you don't see him play that often, right? Because he can bring so much energy to a role, but a lot of the the roles that we see in recent uh, productions are very kind of laconic and um, you know very slow, the drawl and all that. But man, when when he brings it with the energy, it reminded me really. It reminded me of his roles from the mid eighties, like Runaway Train, where he had that same kind of nervous. Energy. Liam, what did you think of Eric Roberts' performance in this? I mean, uh, I've said this before, but I think this is another movie where he's the only person whose performance, like, really works. Like, the <clears throat> there's no one else, at least in the main roles, that really stands out to me. I, I, I will say that um, the kid who played, like, not the little kids, because they're both terrible, but <laughs> sort of the younger version, <laughs> the younger version of Bugsy is also better than the younger version of uh, Lucky Luciano and the younger version right. of Mylansky. Right. So, like, so it kind of makes sense that he's the guy with the energy, but it it's not just that his character is different. Like, I just feel like he's bringing more to the role, and, and it almost makes it feel. I mean, maybe this was the way it's supposed to be, but watching the movie, it's not just that I want more of him than I want of Richard Dreyfus. I want the results to be different. Like in the movie, the suggestion is that he is stealing lots of money. Yeah, he is just a thief. He's going to Switzerland. He's once ripping, a month he's, or something. He, he's ripping off his friends, and yet because he is more present in the movie and he is acting more and there's there's more for me to care about, I'm like on his side. Like I'm like, no, don't kill. Come on. What's, <laughs> what's, what's $8 million between friends? Come on here. You know, because who, who am I rooting for? I'm rooting for Richard Dreyfus. Like never compelling for me the whole movie. Uh, never really sells the character as like a human being. Am I – rooting for lucky luciano come on that's the worst lucky luciano i've ever seen in yeah, a film it's, bad. it's pretty ever bad. so you know he's just the only one who's like alive in the movie and that makes me want to like be on his side even though the movie's like nah this dude's the movie's set up for you to be like this dude's an asshole who's making things hard for meyer lansky but I'm like, nah, fuck Meyer Lansky. Like, I'm with him the whole time. <laughs> it's like, who, who do you want to watch a movie about? The guy who's blowing millions on women and, and, and drugs and alcohol in Las Vegas and having this amazing time and, like, not worrying at all about it? Or this guy who's good at math and has a very restrained life, doesn't seem to really be involved with any of the interesting parts of being a gangster? Look, I'm sure that that is not reflective of how reality was, but that is the movie that it's presented here, that David Mamet has written for us. I, and look, it has some of that David Mamet kind of cliche flair. There is, uh, There are scenes that have a lot of profanity in it. Not that that is a necessity for David Mamet, but it's certainly something he's known for. But, okay. uh, but the subtext here is so uninteresting, right? This just is there isn't anything here that you could see kind of gripping onto. When you come out of this movie, it'd be very unlikely that you're going to come out of it saying, 
Meyer Lansky is a person I want to learn more about. I want to know more about this guy's <laughs> life. All I thought after watching this was, well, that guy seemed really boring, but he surrounded himself with people who were very interesting. Uh, but, I mean, again, that's just that's just my take on it. It's just, for me, was a very middle-of-the-road, very, and I, I, I keep saying unengaging, but that's really the what I mean. I mean, I just felt, like, disconnected from everything that was going on, aside from the few moments of Eric Roberts' goodness. This is... This is one of those rare movies that we feature here where Eric Roberts saves it. He really is the shining star in it. And I can say with all seriousness that in Lansky from 1999, Eric Roberts outacts Richard Dreyfus. Yeah. You can put that down on a piece of paper and mail it to Eric Roberts himself and <laughs> tweet it over to Richard Dreyfus if you want as well. <laughs> I, I, think, I think the script also fails Richard Dreyfus in that. Yes. The, the point of ethical interest, regardless of his acting in the movie, the point that really could have been drawn out was this whole concept of him being ejected from Israel. Like, yeah. who who gets to be Jewish? Like, that's actually really interesting Absolutely. to think through. And the movie, like, hints at it like, uh, you know, this is an issue. And then it just kind of goes, ah, fuck it. It just goes ahead anyway. It literally like, just skips ahead years, so we never really see what happens with it. It just you feel like that would be the moment at which to make this point that the movie wants to make of like, yeah, maybe he was a bad dude. But the only reason we went after him is because he's Jewish, that that moment should have been played out to me stronger with this Israel question. But instead, they kind of just wanted to finish the story and all that material doesn't work at all. All right. I agree with that. But we have gotten to that part of the show. We had a long conversation about Lansky, but now we need to. No, no, this is what this is what it's all about, Darren. Now we got to get to the center, the very core of why we're here. Starting with Yulium. In the 1999 television movie Lansky, is Eric Roberts the fucking man? Yes, like unequivocally, yes. He's the only really like I mean, there's things about the movie that are fun and there's things about the movie that do work. I don't want to say the whole thing is bad per se, but the only exciting part of the movie is Eric Roberts, which makes him the man. Darren, uh, you're up to the plate. Is Eric Roberts the fucking man in this movie? Oh, hell yeah. He is the fucking man in this movie. And uh, if I watch this again, unless it's for my show, like his, maybe some of his other films, it will be for Eric Roberts and for nothing else. Well, good news to you, Darren. You can probably watch the movie in about five or six minutes then. <laughs> you could probably edit his whole part down to ten minutes and get through Lansky, uh, you know, and then move on with the rest of your day, as I'm sure you are wanted to do. I'm sure Eric- somebody already cut that together and find it on YouTube. <laughs> if not, I'll get to it. Eric Roberts is the fucking man in 1999's Lansky. Uh, I would say check it out simply for his performance, uh, though the rest of it, I got to be honest with you, did not uh, grip me, did not, uh, not one of my favorite. There are so many wonderful gangster movies that are out there that Lansky just can't rise up to the task. But if you're a big David Mamet fan, if you're a big John McNaughton fan, and especially if you're a big Eric Roberts fan, then then seek it out. We're going to take our final break. When we return, we're going to talk with Darren. We're going to talk about what projects we're up to, and then we're going to say... Good night. We'll be right back. What a man! 
And that was episode number 59 of Eric Roberts is the fucking man featuring solely 1999's Lansky. I want to thank our guest Darren Wilson for taking time out of his busy schedule of politics, movies and political movies to come and talk with us about Lansky and about Eric Roberts, the actor. Uh, Darren, thank you so much. We really do appreciate it. Where can people find you on the Internet and how can people listen to your podcast? All right. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks, guys, for having me on. It, it was it was a good time. Uh, yeah. This is the Psychosemantic Podcast. Um, we are newly in the Legion Podcast Network, so you can find the show on legionpodcasts.com. Uh, I'm on iTunes and Stitcher, and I think I'm on Google Play and whatever <laughs> apps people use to snag those things. Uh, and there's a Facebook group where I do a lot of photoshopping of Donald Trump into Nazi photos and things like that, or <laughs> and a lot of political discussion. It's uh, slash psychosemanticast on Facebook. Um, yeah, uh, that was all you asked me, right? Sorry. <laughs> I was wondering, can people can people also find you on the Twitter? Oh yes, uh, you can find me on the the Twitter. I am uh, probably the best one to interact with me would be at Darren Wilson, D-A-E-R-O-N, Wilson, the traditional way. But my parents took my name out of the the Silmarillion by Tolkien. (laughs) So I always have to explain how it's spelled. (laughs) Well, that's fair enough. And of course, I'll link. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No. And yeah, that's. Uh, Twitter and on Facebook are where you're, where I'm mostly interactive. And we'll, of course, link Darren's information and the link to the Psychosemantic podcast in the show notes. Liam, I know that you are always busy. What's going on over at Cinepunks? Um, you know, we had to postpone some recording because of the uh, medical situation in my house. Uh, but we did just do a cool episode with Rob Scavarla, where Rob is actually working uh, in his master's on um, some of the roots of the satanic panic uh, sort of phenomena in the 80s. And so we watched some pseudo documentaries whose uh, not just their style, but even some of the people who made them later sort of made some of the some of the videos that became part of the satanic panic uh, phenomena in the 80s. So that is actually a really fun episode and, and it's really good. And then in theory, we're supposed to record soon with uh, Sam Deegan, to talk about uh, that new book that she uh, is the editor for, the Lost Girls, the uh, films of uh, Jean Rolin. And uh, that should be a fun conversation. And uh, we were supposed to record it, but I was caring for my sick wife. So that hasn't happened yet. But uh, it should be soon. And we also have an interview coming up. I think we're having an interview coming up with Grady Hendrix and his new paperbacks from Hell books. So that should be fun. So you postponed an episode of Cinepunks to take care of your sick wife. However, yeah. here we are recording an episode of Eric Roberts is the fucking sure. man. On, and so, so what does that mean, Liam? 
<laughs> so you want me to say that you're more for this interview was supposed to happen on Thursday, and that's when my wife was like really sick, so that was oh, not going to happen. Also, I have to drive to Philadelphia. Here, I'm in my basement. I don't even have pants on. It's great. You can of course find Liam <laughs> on Twitter at Liam Rules R U L Z, and please do so. Uh, otherwise, he'll start whining at me that he's not. It doesn't have enough followers. Isn't that right, Liam? Oh, I I need more of them. I need so many followers. He gets off on it. He's a sicko. He's a sadist. Oh, man, I touch my butt. (laughs) (laughs) You can, of course, find me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. You can find more episodes of Eric Roberts is the fucking man over at ericrobertsistheman.com. You can also find that show on Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M, as well as you can uh, join our Eric Roberts is the man Facebook You can join our Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man Facebook group. Uh, Just do a search for Eric Roberts is the Man over there. You can find my other podcast, No Budget Nightmares, over at NoBudgetPodcast.com or on Twitter at NoBudgetPodcast. We're rapidly approaching our 100th episode with a lot of special guests and surprises. But with that all said, we need to close up the Eric Roberts bag for another week. In just a few weeks, we shall return with two more Eric Roberts classics. But for now, good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. If there's anything that you can do, Eric Roberts fucking can. 